0: Welcome to Built Different, a podcast by boots-on-the-ground workers who are built different and like to get sight done.
1: We're here to listen, question the status quo, and continue to find better ways to build the world. Hey guys, welcome to the Built Different podcast. I am Matt Daly. This is a podcast that is really for boots-on-the-ground hard workers who are built different and like to get the job done. I am joined today by uh, my co-host Chris Jervy and our special guest Ben Stalker of Skender.
0: I was hoping you were going to say esteemed colleague, Chris Jervy, but I'll take co-host.
1: A co-host is is where we're going to
0: land today. That's yep, fine.
1: Yep, yep, yep. We'll get to esteemed colleague.
0: We've decided that two hosts are better than one for this. That's right. Yeah, I'm Chris Jervy. I head up the customer success team, and I've uh, known Ben for we've actually all known Ben for a little while. Uh, one of our favorite customers, Ben. You want to intro yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I'm Ben Stocker. I'm with Skender
2: and I'm a construction technologist there at Skender. It's really cool to be here for the inaugural podcast of Built Different.
1: Yeah, man. So. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I was, again, we were, we were, before we got started here, we were just talking about, it. I can't believe it's been since 2017 that I was in your office here in Chicago. Yeah, that was. A while ago, it feels like
2: really long ago, but I mean, it's only four, well, almost five years.
1: So you said you were a project engineer in 2017?
2: Correct. Yeah. At that point, I was a project engineer still,
1: construction technologist now. But yeah, just
2: project engineer on my own jobs then.
1: I think where we want to start today was like kind of really just getting a sense from you of like, Tell us about your journey to construction as far back as you want to go. And yeah, really give us a sense of how did you get into the industry? What drove you to it? What what was exciting to you about it? Anything you want to share about your journey to construction? Sure. Yeah, it started uh, back when I got my first Lego set
2: at five years <laughs> old. and <laughs> No, I'm not going to go that far back. Really, I've just always... I mean, you hear this response a lot, I feel like, with people who are engineers and whatnot, but you start you're good at math and science, and people tell you, oh, you know, you should be an engineer then. So, it just kind of fits, and I think when I was younger too, my mom even always told me, you should be an engineer. But like, I didn't even know what that really meant. You know, when you're in like... You mean the guy that drives the trains? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what everyone thinks at first. So then after looking more into it, I was like, okay, this kind of does make sense. I almost like went a completely different path. A little known fact, actually, I almost went into like video editing, video production kind of stuff.
1: Why video editing? Why video production? What brought you to that? I just
2: liked that a lot when I was younger, like middle of high school, made a lot of like skating videos with my friends and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) yeah, uh, I just thought I'd go bigger with that, but then realized, uh, no, engineering
1: is going to be a much better career path. You realized you wanted to build the half pipe. Almost did,
2: And not just record the skating video. I almost did in my backyard at one point, not going to lie. That's awesome. Didn't happen. I don't think my parents would have liked that very much. So what did you study in college? I did civil engineering with a structural emphasis in college. Not doing proper, proper engineering like that anymore, but that's definitely like the building block stepping stone to get into construction. Yeah, you can do anything in construction if you have an engineering background. With the engineering degree... Went off of college and worked for an electrical contractor for a little while, like four years or so. And then I just realized I wanted to get more higher up on the construction food chain or whatever and move up to a GC so you can actually get involved with more trades. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's when I started working for Skender. And I started with them as a project engineer. Was a project engineer for a handful of years working on my own projects and stuff. And that's when I met you guys while I was still a project engineer. And then... I've always just been the person, even while I was a PE, that was just interested in technology, trying out new things, even if it was something as simple as a new task management software, like Wonderlist. I, I loved Wonderlist when that still existed. And I would try to get any team I was on to use Wonderlist so we could collaboratively do task management together. So even just little things like that. I was always the person looking into new tech. And then eventually, talking with other people at Skender, we were just like, "Why don't we make this a full-time position?" Their companies are starting to do this, but it's still a relatively early type of role. So
0: we uh, added a construction technologist role, and that's where I'm at now. Tell us more about how you were, you know, as a as an engineer, field engineer out there. How did how, what was it like? Where were you getting intel about different types of technologies? Like. What was the discovery process like for you? Were you just looking on different websites? Yeah, I mean, that was just me
2: on my own time, pretty much, and sometimes like on work time too. Just yeah, yeah, just seeing what other softwares were out there, what what new hardware was out there. I mean, we were first just starting to get into laser scanning stuff, even while I was a PE, but I was getting more invested in that, and as I got more invested in the different technologies and was like trying to heavily influence people at Skender oh we should be using this we should be looking into this and at that point too it was kind of like okay we got this project engineer who's giving us all this tech advice and then some people told me oh you know this is kind of taking away time from your actual job where you should be managing projects I'm like (laughs) yeah they could tell that that's what I really like doing I mean I still like managing projects too but I really like the technology aspect too. And I always just saw laws and systems and I, I like to make things more efficient and streamline and stuff
0: like that. And that's still what I'm doing to this day by adding new tech to job sites. Do you think at the time you were trying to actually address pain points or was it more just curiosity about what was out there? Were you really trying to like solve problems that you were running into in the field?
2: Oh, definitely. That's exactly what I was doing. I mean, I purchased a, my own single 360 camera and before we even met Matt and you showed me instruction site, I was... Taking those 360 photos and manually making my own little plan in Bluebeam where I had to add each photo to like a hyperlinked pin and I was hosting the photos up on like a, a 360 web hosting service that, you know, just individual photos. They weren't organized in any way. So it was a very manual process. So like that was a painful way to solve that problem and then introduced to you guys and life became easier. But yeah, definitely solving problems
0: on my own there it wasn't just tech interest only, it was problem solving. No, I
2: was actually trying to Use it and implement it. Yeah. How did
0: you guys meet? Oh, man.
1: Was it through that first visit with Kevin? <laughs> it was through office? the first visit. Is it?
2: Yeah. Yeah. We met through Kevin. He He's the one who brought you guys to our office, I believe. Yep. And then he brought me in on that meeting because, like I said, even though I was just a project engineer at the time, I was trying
1: to. You were his guy. I you was, you was trying to. <laughs> he was, he was like, ways. I, I got to bring, I got to, I know who I need to bring to this meeting because we're bringing a tech vendor in here. And like, you were clearly the guy that he wanted to be like, all right, you got to check this out. Yeah. And
2: I think he might have known that I was trying to the method I just was talking about where I was manually adding everything into Bluebeam like I think he knew that I was doing that so he was like oh, I think I
1: have a better solution
2: for you <laughs>
1: that is that is awesome um, I- even just going back like rewinding a minute there for two like I, like in this piece we wanted like really the path to becoming a builder talk about that moment from you know you get out of college you got your civil engineering degree you don't have to go into construction you went to go work for an electrical contractor why so I realized, I think, in my mind at the time, if I went into just
2: proper like bridge engineering, which is what my degree was specifically for, I would just be sitting at a desk just doing calculations all day and like, yeah, I kind of like that stuff. And I still love bridges and everything. But I realized I wanted to be more involved in the actual building process and, I don't know, be working with different trades and more More people more instead of just at a sitting at a desk doing calculations, which I know there's more to engineering than just that. But in my mind at the time, you know, as a 21, 22 year old or whatever, like that's what I thought it was. And I, I remember interviewing with some engineering companies and I'd go into their office and it just. That idea was what it looked like there. It was just very dry atmosphere of everyone doing analyses on their computer. I'm like,
1: maybe this isn't for me. Yeah, yeah. To be uh, be honest, I have like a funny story for you, I guess. I don't know if this is funny, but like, so my experience was straight out of college was working for a mechanical engineer in San Diego. I lasted four weeks. <laughs> uh, because it was. It You're was, not even done with onboarding at that. point. was <laughs> it, which was two, which was
0: two weeks too long. Yeah, it was.
1: It was exactly, actually, I think what you were imagining, which is I was doing a lot of stuff in Excel and AutoCAD, and that was it. It was just punching numbers into Excel. It was not exactly what I had imagined. And again, I think you know, i starting at the very bottom there, doing. Doing the grunt work at an engineering firm was certainly enough. Who knows? I don't know what my path would have been if I had actually taken the builder path like like you did. But yeah, like tell us more. Maybe just about what do you love the most about doing what you do, right? As a builder, I mean, doing as I do, specifically as construction technologist. Now, I mean, I just love
2: tech, all technology, even if it's not related to construction at all. So I just love being able to play with. I'm going to say toys, even though you're not supposed to say toys. They're tools, not toys. I mean,
0: um, you offered to bring your own podcast equipment to this podcast.
1: <laughs> that, that is true.
0: <laughs>
2: I, I have it ready. I got it. I have my mic in my backpack over there. <laughs> yeah, I've always just liked tech. But then as far as like what I'm doing now in the builder sense too, I mean, construction has been around for forever, right? And really didn't, hasn't changed for the longest time. I mean, technology has really boomed in the past I don't know, what would you say, 20 years or so? I mean, especially with everything going online now, you know, you you don't have nearly as many programs that you actually install on your computer. Everything is web-based now. And so just all of those different types of technologies are just making everything so much more efficient for people too. And that's what I really love. Just no one wants to work harder. Like, you know, just I I love creating new processes or finding new softwares that are going to make people's jobs easier. Like that's what I try to do in a nutshell. Awesome. So that's, I don't know, that's what I like about being
0: in this environment, I guess. How often do you find that the technology that you are trying to implement or that you discover and you're like, oh, this is going to make people's lives easier, actually ends up making lives easier? And how long is that? Like, I think what we find, right, as a, as a technology vendor is that you've got to be catered to the process and there's probably some, there's some learning, there's a learning curve, there's yep. maybe some hardware or some other technology learning there that needs to happen, you know, then there's training and enablement across the starts with a really good idea. Like I think this is gonna work really well, even after you vetted it personally. Like, tell me a little bit more about kind of just what that process looks like and when do you kind of get to the point where you're like, oh, this is this technology is actually working just like I wanted it to, and it's actually making that difference that I wanted it to make. The answer to that varies by what technology, what software we're talking sure. about. So I mean, if we're talking
2: about something like struction site, for example, let's say That I started using it myself. And then I think I mentioned that it organically grew in Skender because other people saw what I was doing with it and they just instantly were like, this is looks extremely useful and cool. Like I want to start using this too. So like there are certain softwares like that where it's just easy to get that instant that instant feedback where people just know right away, this is good. I want to use this. And there are definitely other things like that too. I mean, moving away from 360 camera stuff, even just when we started using drones back in 2015, I don't know. I started with with a Phantom 3, and, like, I remember the first time, like, there, I mean, I had just learned how to fly the thing. Part 107 licenses weren't even a thing yet, and I went out to the job I was on. It was an outdoor project that had, like, 12 buildings, all within a couple blocks. And I was like, okay, this would be cool to get progress photos from the air. And so I took our drone and I just took some photos, you know, hosted them up on like OneDrive or something like that and shared it with the owner. And they just said, this is amazing. I want this every week, period. Mm-hmm. That's all the email said back. And I was like, okay, that's, so that's the kind of like instant feedback and reward like reach, know, okay, this is gonna be great. And then our drone program has evolved since then and we're you know, using actual software for it now. And yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, then there are other things like let's go talk about laser scanning for a second. Like that is definitely like a slower takeoff. Yes, some people see the benefits right away. You know, there's so many things you can do with it. Then there are people still now who are like, well, okay, you have this what I think is you know pixelated looking model of a point cloud. Like, what do what do I do with this? There's some people that still don't get it. So that's one that's not as instant. But the people who understand how to use laser scanning and point clouds, like they can get it. But yeah, that one's less quick to. Get that instant
1: feedback. What do you think the delta is between tools and technologies that get that very quick light bulb moment and adoption? Ones that don't. The delta there,
2: I mean, one, just your own satisfaction of knowing you've implemented something that works well. For me, going back to the laser scanning, that's is slower, I'll say. I mean, we still use it on most jobs. But that, like, it, it took a while to kick off and figure out how to use it and stuff. So you have to think, like, oh, is this really you know, going to work? I, I knew myself that it was going to work, but it's really convincing the other people that it's good. But, so that would be a delta. Is just, like, that time of uncertainty, especially, you know, higher-ups and suites and stuff. If They are the ones who really need to be convinced it's working. So there's that delta for if something takes longer to actually see success, there's just the delta of the, that trial cost as well. I mean, some companies, you know, have maybe gigantic R&D budgets, and we have a, a dedicated R&D budget, but you know, it's not unlimited or anything. So if you try something out for a while, and it doesn't work out, that's cost that's gone, that's your time that you spent on it. I mean, yeah, that's my time of trying it out. Then there's, if I work with a project team as well, that's their time, you know, taking away from actually managing their projects, and then away their time that they helped try out the new software, hardware, whatever it was. So that could be the downside. But I mean, That's inevitable. You're always going to get trials that are going to turn out like that. I mean, there's that saying, you know, if you're going to fail, if you're going to fail, fail fast. Heard that before. And yeah, that's definitely true. There are certain tech and softwares that we tried where we realize, I think it's going to be great, and then you know, we'll we'll buy a trial or you know, small period of it, and I try it out with the project team, and then they're like, and I don't know if I really like this so much. And then Mm -hmm. sometimes I'll be like, no, 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 we got to just push forward. Growing pains. We'll get to it. And then other times though, it's like. Yeah, I agree with you. Okay, let's just stop this. Don't waste any more of your time.
0: Yeah.
1: Can we, can we Let's pull on that for a minute because I think we never talk about the technologies that didn't make it, right? And the ones that you tried to get adoption in the field for probably very valid reasons assumed that it was going to have the impact we wanted on on the folks on the project team, but it didn't. Like, what would be, what's an example of something that you were pretty sure that it might get uh, adoption and work, but just ultimately didn't get the legs in the field that it needed to? Yeah, I'm not going to call out specific
2: softwares or anything. but That's probably um, a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> a more general one I can say, I don't want to say this has failed. I just want to say it's, I don't feel like it's fully there yet. And that's going to be mixed reality like the HoloLens. Mm-hmm. That's the one I was super excited, especially when the HoloLens 2 came out. It was big promises of improvements from the HoloLens 1. That was two years ago now. And we did some trials with it, and it really is an amazing technology. But it just like we came across issues where, like, we bring up the model in the field and there would be drift problems where a pipe is whether it's six inches off or six feet off of where it's supposed to be. And it's like, give something like that to a superintendent who's trying to coordinate where the sprinkler pipe is going to go. And it's six, it, the model in, in the Hollands is showing six feet off of where it's supposed to be. That's, they're going to say, this is
1: a piece of garbage and say, I never want to touch this again. So, yeah, it's a timing thing, right? Like it's it, it. So much of it comes down to timing, right? It's not yeah. like this isn't this isn't a bad or useless technology. No, oh, it's it's, it's absolutely amazing. I, I love it. There's just some
2: shortcomings still, and it just it needs a, a little more time to mature. And like, yes, you can get around all the drift problems. You can you know, set up more alignment points and stuff and realign it every if you every fifty feet as you walk or something. There are ways around it, but it's just not that incredibly simple where you can just hand it off to anyone and it's intuitive and easy to use without problems. But yeah, without calling out specific software. That's my biggest annoyance fail of the past couple of years at least. <laughs> I want it to work. It's gonna get there. And there's also just the accessibility of the of headsets too. Like it's not like 360 camera work with instruction say You can buy those cheap 360 cameras and give them to everybody on every project, but you're not going to buy hundreds of Hollands headsets and have them all over the place. I mean, mm-hmm. you could if you just have deep pockets.
0: Tell us a little bit more. When we, before we got started on the, on the podcast, you were sort of talking a little bit about technology and practice and some of the things that you do to try to, you know, quickly enable and get people to get over those initial humps. Like you were talking about. Accessibility being a big thing for you. you want to dive into into kind of what that means for you and how you put that into practice?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to have the technology and use it on a trial project and, you know, maybe show off in a marketing video, oh, we use this on this project. It's cool. But, you know, 99% of your other projects don't use that. You don't use that as a full company. So what... We try to do is like when we implement a new software or whatever, like site for example, it's not a, hey, we have this option of using this or you could use a different software if you want. It's like, no, no, this is what we're using now. This is what Skender's using. And everyone's going to get cameras. Everyone's signed up on this. This is what we're using on every project going forward. Making it easily accessible like that is just super important. And uh, going back to the cameras, too. Like I said, we everyone has access to those. We have a camera on every project. Sometimes just from people moving around, there's multiple cameras on one project, but we never want to make it hard to get camera to be able to take your progress photos. So I've talked with some people who come from other companies and their company might have 5, 10 cameras that IT owns and you have to check them out from IT, but then you have to you know, get back to the office, get it from IT or have it shipped out or whatever, and then you know check it back in. That's just a pain in the butt. If it's not accessible and easy to get, they're not going to do it at all. They're not going to do those weekly or more often captures. So that's important just to make sure it's easy for people to use the tech that we implement. And then like the drone stuff that I was talking about, we try to make it so that we can go to any job that we need to uh, without like limitations. Like the, I try to, you know, get to as many jobs as possible. It's like, I'm our pilot as well. So I try to yeah make it so that you don't have to, I don't know what I'm trying to say. And make it so that i can get to all the outdoor projects yeah <laughs> the drone yeah. the drone documentation they need and then laser scanning as well you know the, i'm able to get to all of our jobs to scan that they need it you know it's not too often enough where i'm going crazy getting out to all the jobs but uh yeah that works out well so they can call me at any time and we can schedule schedule time for me to come in and scan like right after this podcast i'm going to scan a job actually and they told me about it yesterday so
0: it's interesting it sounds i mean When I was thinking about accessibility, when we were talking about it, I felt very much like, oh, yeah, we're going to make the tools accessible to our field team. But it's also a lot about you being accessible to your field team.
2: That's very true. Yeah, it it depends because there are some tools where you implement it and everybody on the team can use, like site for example. But then something like laser scanning, you're not going to buy 80 laser scanners and have them on every job. You know, you might have a small fleet of them or something. So yeah, if you have a more specialist needed tech like that then yeah, you have to be accessible to get to everyone. Yeah, good point.
0: Yeah, as the representative of our of our customer success team, obviously a big part of what we want to be able to do is sort of relieve you of some of that burden, right? We we are the subject matter experts for interior capture, for site documentation. What do the best vendors do to help you with that? What are the ways that we can kind of relieve you of having to be the support specialist for every single technology that you're using. Yeah, that's a great question actually.
2: Depending on the tech or software, onboarding is always a big deal because onboarding can typically, well, can take a lot of time. It can cost a lot of money from the people who are buying the software. They have to update their processes and you know, update training schedules. And if there's you know training manuals and whatnot, they need to update everything in there. Like that can take a lot of time. So yep. anytime, a software or, you know, the vendor can help with onboarding. That's huge. So, like, I mean, just recently, we actually got a new uh, closeout document software and almost, no, I won't say the specific name. I don't want to play favorites, but they've been really great to work with, the onboarding process, and they have a great training system online. So, like, we didn't even have to do any of our own training. We can just direct everybody, hey, watch, you know, these few videos. So, yeah, onboarding definitely helps. Another thing is just, well, almost every software has this now, I feel like, but the little live chat buttons on your website. Anytime it's a, a web software, like Site, having a little live chat is always huge help because then people don't have to reach out to me all the time. Like They still can. I'll always help them out and respond. Yeah, <laughs> they still can and they definitely do. And I'm fine with that. I love helping people. But it's also nice to have that live chat that, you know, quickly respond and can always help with answers.
0: Actually yeah. you are individually responsible for one of our most significant recent changes in the way that we help with project setup because you, we discovered, were putting together little awesome camera packages for your projects, right? Yeah. You actually bought cases. Tell that story a little bit. Sure. So when I was just using instruction site just
2: myself, I just had a camera that I you know left on my desk or whatever and I think that was it. But then as we were gonna scale and give it to everyone, Going back to the accessibility i just wanted to make it as easy as possible i didn't want to like i didn't want to have any roadblocks for people so i just went online and found the most compact little hard shell cases that i could find the 360 cameras and the hard shell was key because we're in construction things get thrown around and beat up and sites are dirty and dangerous so yeah nice hard shell case for the camera that had slots for two extra batteries that you can hot swap into the camera And then also a little mini charging dock that can charge multiple batteries at one time. And all this fits in that nice little hard shell case. The only thing outside of that case is the the monopod or the selfie stick to hold it on if they want to use that. And then also, then the cherry on top was, so we, even though you guys have your own training stuff and whatnot, we also just created our own little workflow of how it works into our own systems and whatnot. So we created that walkthrough training system online and then laminated little QR codes that we would place inside each of those camera cases so that when a new hire or whatever gets that camera case, they open it up, the first thing they see is that QR code that says, you know, scan me to learn how to how to mm-hmm. pair this and use it. Yep. So it takes them directly to instructions how to do all of that. So, yeah, I'm really happy with that whole package. It works really well. It gives people everything they need, you know, just the protection to the extra batteries and it just makes it easy for everyone versus like, you know just handing out a camera and then they throw it into their backpack and they're like oh my lens is scratched now And yeah it's yeah, nice just to that everyone gets that same
0: nice little package yeah I, we we loved that idea so we started actually putting together little kits that people can just order so that they have oh, nice. a light and a camera and whatever they need and we'll just send them to them directly to get start up with the project love the hard shell case idea though like that's even better but yeah i love that idea like There's that initial technology hurdle, right? Just, okay, how do I connect my camera to my device? Mm -hmm. What other technology do I need? Hardware do I need? Just here. Put it in a box and open it. Yeah.
2: And I'll still help people set it up if they need to. Sometimes people still like doing it in person. But then other people are like, oh, no, you gave me instructions? All right, cool. I'm good to go. Yeah, there have been times where new hires have only been here for, you know, a week or two or whatever, and then I'll check in with them and be like, "Hey, do you need help setting up structs inside?" And they're like, "No, it's easy. I figured it out." <laughs> like, great!
0: I love people like you. <laughs> so do we. Yeah. Not, there,
1: there's another thread here related to accessibility that that I actually would love to hear from you on um, about. So we talked about accessibility of the hardware. We talked about you personally being accessible to your team. What about the accessibility of the data? Is there anything that you're you're doing or trying or that you've seen or that that you guys are currently like using in practice that makes this information more accessible to the project teams and make sure that it gets, for example, if you go out and scan or you, you know, you go fly a drone, what are the ways, anything that you're doing or trying there that round trips that information back to the people who need it to make decisions?
2: Yeah. I mean, everything, especially with all the web-based software these days, I would say that most of them don't really have problems with accessibility to project teams. I mean, everyone's kind of nailing that right now with the web-based stuff. It's just, you know, you're not having to bring things back to a computer and upload them to a program and then let that program sync back to your on-site servers and stuff. Like everything, you know, just uploaded mobile from your phone or whatever, and then goes up to the cloud and then everyone has it instantly. Like, so accessibility to project teams, I feel like isn't that much of an issue anymore. I mean, I'm sure there might be small pain points here and there, but... I can't think of any off the top of my head, but for the most part, that's been really great. But what's really has improved, especially over the past couple of years with COVID, is accessibility for the owners into data. I've seen a lot more softwares like making that a priority, especially when job site walks aren't as much of it. Well, I mean, people still do that, but if you have an architect who's over on the East Coast somewhere, and we're in Chicago here, before they might you know take frequent flights out over the past couple years we haven't seen that happen nearly as much and it's really great that they can just instantly see the instruction type photos to see the uh, interior stuff and then they can I mean we've had this owner on this east coast he'll contact me directly and be like oh hey can you go take some drone photos of this specific spot you know on the 13th floor of the on the south side of this building or whatever I want to you know make sure this is good so that type of accessibility to the owners I think has been huge this past couple years I mean We've actually done official like city inspections through construction site right so that's big. I didn't think they would actually go for that and there were I've heard that there are some inspectors who will not do that no matter what like even in the peaks of COVID, but we've had some where they're like, yeah, if you can take enough pictures that that will be good enough for us so we'll you know popping every ceiling tile to see up up top and yeah just take a really detailed uh, photo tour and then that was good enough for them for inspections.
1: That is awesome. Are there aspects of the way you guys are building now that had to happen because of COVID that you think will stick around? Just that the concept
2: of being able to see your job site from anywhere, I think that's the biggest change. I'm seeing more jobs want to have cameras in like, so not only stationary 360 photos or video walkthroughs but like actual live and time-lapse cameras from the inside of their job. Like mm-hmm. People want to see that so they can see it remotely. And so that's something that really picked up during COVID that I noticed at least. There's probably other things that I just can't think of off the top of my head right now. Yeah, no, that's, um, that's fine. I mean, but we, I, we I we would wanna. say, yeah, just being able to constantly monitor your job remotely. Mm-hmm. Just how a lot of people are, were working from home and are still working from home. It's the same thing for those owners or architects who don't want to get to the job site all the time anymore like they might be able to like we might have some in that are still in Chicago here and could take a trip over but they're like if I can see everything, either on construction site or from drone media or whatever, like why why do I need to? I can see it all from here. I'm good. I got my progress update. I think like so in, I think that's something that's definitely going to stick around. Yeah,
1: like in, inspections is one that I'm curious about. I think in particular because you mentioned that you guys are able to do a remote inspection. There's some legality there, right? There's oh, sure. uh, laws that need to be paid attention to in that world. Do you see any of that shifting to more of a image based? Remote solution, or or do you think we'll kind of go back to physical Um, inspections being the de facto still?
2: I would say for now, probably go back to physical inspections. I mean, those were a couple like special cases where I now people are getting more air quotes, more comfortable with COVID and you know how to uh, protect ourselves better. But this was more in the time where like we didn't really know what was going on and. Mm -hmm. So no one was really wanting to go to job sites at all. We still had some inspections or a lot of inspections were in person during the peaks there. But yeah, there were some that were like, no, this this will be good enough for now. I'm st- I'm going to stay safe from, <laughs> from my house here and inspect your job site. So I, yeah, I think that will probably go back to in person for a little while at least. But I mean, the technology just keeps rapidly advancing. I think it could go all virtual easily pretty soon here. But I'm sure, like you said, there's probably legal reasons that are holding back that I probably don't know about. Tell me a
0: little bit about how you aggregate or what you might like to see in terms of aggregating various reality capture data sources. You've got interior capture, you've got your drones going, laser scan, fixed sight cameras. And there are probably different applications for for those different types of media. But I sort of assume that there'll be a convergence of that, so you can kind of have more holistic visibility over your job sites. What 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 would that look like for you?
2: Yeah, that is something that's in its, I want to say, early life stages. Still, there are definitely softwares exist where you can do that. And the first one that comes to mind is uh, Reconstruct. And those guys, you can put in 360 media, you can put in your point cloud, you can put in drone photos. You can you can throw you can throw it in your job. Um, you know, a model from Navisworks or whatever. You could throw anything you want in there and view it all in a browser to a what I'll call like average user and stuff, that can be very overwhelming and complicated. Personally, I think it's amazing that you combine all those. But yeah, they it's in its early stages where you're really combining all that type of media. I mean, we're taking good milestone steps though, for for you guys, for example, with instruction site, have all the three sixty stuff down, you know, great at that. And then you recently did the Procore BIM integration. So, you know, we have our models that lived in Navisworks or whatever, and then Procore comes out with Procore BIM. We can easily have it in Procore where we have everything else. And then you guys that already worked with Procore as well, but now we can have the Procore BIM model directly compared to our construction site photos. So that's like a, a good milestone step. It's not getting all of those types of reality capture together. But it's getting two big ones side by side that that's that's a huge milestone step towards it. I mean, eventually, yeah, we're all going to be having, you know, headsets on where we can see every time <laughs> everything, you know, in mixed reality or virtual reality or whatnot and view all of our point clouds But we're, we're far ways away. Well, OK, you technically can view point clouds in virtual reality and stuff, but they're highly decimated and whatnot. But yeah. We're a ways from it getting super easy and seamless. I feel like, but we're definitely getting there. There are definitely software's that can start doing that.
0: Maybe in the I, Hololens 5 we you'll be yeah. able to put that on.
1: Yeah, yeah. When you know, Moore's Law continues on its right. forward march in the world and, and keeps making that thing faster and smaller and, and you know more powerful. Yeah. Let's switch gears a little bit and selfishly, let's talk about some construction site. Yep. You know, Like we we always love to hear we always love to hear stories. You know, about specifically where where did the value come from? Where were we helpful for you guys? Sure.
2: I kind of touched on it before, but I instantly saw the value when Matt, you came into our office back in 2017 and just gave your, your initial pitch because at that point I was
1: manually putting photos into Bluebeam. Yeah, you were like <laughs> the ideal person to talk to. You're like, oh, you're already doing this. Yeah, I basically and already you're spending made... a lot of time on it. Yeah. So I already made
2: my own instruction site. It was just extremely manual. And so I personally instantly saw the value. Yeah. And then, but like Skender as a company saw the value very quickly after that. Cause like I said earlier, it just organically spread. I was using it on my own projects. But then, you know, as I you know, moved from one project to another, I would work with, you know, a slightly different team. And then they would be like, oh, this is really cool. I want to use this. But then as I, you know, moved on to a different project and they did as well, they were like, well, I still want to be using this, you know, just because. Ben's the only one with the license here at this moment, you know, I want to use it on this other project. So it just was slowly organically spreading as more people saw it until the point where it's like, all right, we're, why are we just slowly doing this? Let's just go company wide with it.
1: Why did so, they want to use it though? Like what were they, what were they getting from it that was making them want to continue to use it? Was this a, vis, was it like purely visibility I mean, where they just had you know, visibility to the job for
2: us, the owners and our subs. I mean, like one of the biggest uses, that I was using it for initially as well was for pre-con walks. If we were bidding on a job, even I would walk in, take 360 photos. And then I would share that with our subcontractors to, you know, even though they would do a site walk as well, now they could have this site walk of 360 photos and give us more accurate numbers. Right. And that sounds, you know, just easy and commonplace now, but back in 2017, that was a pretty new concept still. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we, I'm trying to remember the original question right now. Yeah, it was
1: it was really just about like getting into the specifics of if you got somebody on your team that's going, I want to use this thing, we always want to know why. Yeah. I mean, like oh, what is okay. what is driving that specifically that yeah. that makes the people in so, your team say, This is something I gotta keep using in my project going forward.
2: Yeah, it was just that visibility of the job site as well. Like one of the biggest things too was it we are able to get more data. And spend less time getting that data so that was a huge a huge factor in it because before I mean yes you say like okay well before you had to take you know six photos in a room and now you can take one but realistically most people aren't going into every room and taking six photos Mm -hmm. they're taking just a handful of photos around the entire job and there are you know some private offices that maybe never got Documented the entire job because they just like skipped that room when they went around and took their handful of photos, you know, from their phone. So now that it was so quick and easy to capture everything, you know, whether with the individual photos or just the video walks, you can just walk around, you just got so much more data. And like that was quick alone. But then what we used to do beforehand too, if we were just taking photos with our phone or whatever, we would take those photos. And you know then you have to get them onto your computer and then we would take in Bluebeam we would take a 2d drawing and say like okay photo 13 was taken at this location with a little arrow pointing this way because it was in this orientation so the project coordinator engineer whoever they would take all that time to organize that photo map too using the phone photos and that just took a long time to do that even so we save time capturing the data save time organizing the data and get I don't even know how much more data, a ton more. Yeah. So that was the value that everyone saw instantly. Awesome. Um, that was kind of a long-winded
1: answer. <laughs> no, but it, I like, guess
2: that was yeah, that was the, the initial big pull for it.
1: So I guess another cool. way to ask that too is like, what happens when you don't have this data? What does that look like? Sometimes you may not need
2: it, and it's okay. And <laughs> but it's it's one of those things where it's a big cover your ass type thing. You know, it's good to have it. You know one it's it's good to be just more open and have the job visible to all the parties the subs owners whoever but it's also just good to protect yourself too and know like towards the end of the job maybe the owner says oh i want to install this you know 85 inch tv on this wall and then you're like well do we have backing in that wall mm-hmm. are there is there any behind here like what's what's going on and if you have no documentation like yeah you could look in the drawings and but, you know, maybe there was a an addendum or something that changed what was behind that wall and that's not in the drawing. I, I don't know. There, you know, it could be lots of sources of air there. But what's really nice is if you have photo documentation of the in-wall MAPs before you put drywall up, then you can just look back and know.
1: Yeah. Are you guys doing anything in the slab as well? Like, because we hear a lot, you know, that's like probably the most common application, capturing what's in a wall, what's above a ceiling, but um, also concrete as well. Do you guys do yep. stuff in the slab?
2: Uh, so, not nearly as much as in wall just because of the jobs that Ender does. We don't have as many ground up jobs where we're putting slabs in. We still have some though, and yes, they're using them there. Yep. The majority of our jobs are interior build outs. So yeah, that's the in wall is, is huge for us. But yeah, in slab, that's just almost more important because you can rip open drywall if you really need to and look inside the wall. but you don't really want to uh demo a concrete slab just to see what was underneath there.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, no, you so don't. yeah, it's actually <laughs> yeah. it's actually more important in that situation then. Let's wrap things up a little bit here. Before we let you go, Ben wanted to ask you to share with us kind of a a, a real success moment for you in in your career, something that just worked really well where you felt like you made a a really positive impact on Skender. Or...
2: I have an answer for that and it's really going to sound like I'm sucking up considering the podcast that I'm <laughs> on right now, but it's going to be implementing construction site at Skender because like I said, I was a project engineer at the time when I first started using it and I wasn't in this construction technologist position yet. So this construction site was the first software, the first like big impact that I made technology-wise at Skender. So I just that was a big win for me personally because I made an impact on, on Skender's workflow. I mean, this is something that we use every day here now. And you know, I Helped make that, uh, make that change. So I don't know, that was my first big success. my a, a big, win. There've been subs since then, but, uh, yeah, this is the first one that
1: I, uh, I got to tell you, that's, well. that's like the best thing we could ever possibly on, on
0: <laughs> podcast yeah, yeah, one. It yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well,
1: doesn't get any better than
0: that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: It looks like that was a planted question or something, but uh, that really is the truth.
0: We'll get you that uh, $50 check later. (laughs) Thanks a lot for sharing that. Yeah, Yeah, I take Venmo. uh, Yeah, thanks so much. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. Really excited to have you. Inaugural podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's a word, inaugurable. Inaugural podcast. So thanks so much for joining us, man. I appreciate you sharing all this. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. It's been a lot of fun. It's good seeing
2: you guys. And uh, I could talk about this stuff for hours. So
1: <laughs> Well, we will <laughs> after this. So uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll keep it's, going. It's really it's really good to see you, Ben. We appreciate you joining us. Yeah, here on podcast number one of, of Built Different. I love it.
2: Can't wait till we get to 100.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: Built Different is brought to you by Structionsite. To find out more about us, head to Structionsite.com.
1: Make sure to search for Built Different in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen. Click follow so you don't miss out on any future episodes.
0: On behalf of everyone here at Structionsite, thanks for listening.